0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Oh
1: Broadcasting from the cigarette at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 688 Of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast, I'm your head number one, the Internet's Joe Patrick. And Matt, The Rock tweeted that Black Adam is about to hit profitability, but no sequel
0: has been announced yet. My name is Matt Baum, your head number two, and I will drop a line. A lot of misogynist trolls used on Captain Marvel when he was already a very profitable film. Maybe he just needs to smile a little more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he is very angry. He's very angry the when he's The one he thing the guy has is his charisma, and the director was like, don't use any of that. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you on. know what? I think The Rock secretly directed this film. <laughs> yeah, he may have, and maybe he was just trying something new, but just go back to Rocky, man. Everybody likes that guy, you know? In this episode, The Cosmic Longbox returns, so we're reviewing and discussing eight comic book back issues based on a theme. After that, we'll tell you listeners about our must-read new comic picks that you have to pick up next week. That sound that you hear in the background, though, that is the Cosmic Longbox about to fling us into the comic time stream, which means it's back-issue review time in the Ziggurat!
1: I can't maintain that level of energy. You don't have I to. Your, very, I
0: appreciate your efforts. We're always very calm after we're just like flung back in time. Like
1: oh, yeah, I just you know that wasn't I, look, so bad. <laughs> you do it. You do it. You do it. For, you do it enough for the both of us. Recently, the DC Universe Infinite app added a new ultra-level membership, and with it, access to an even larger library of classic comics from the DCU, including. The almost complete Vertigo library. Now, I'm not sure how complete it is. There's some stuff missing, but it's a lot of stuff. It's a ton. It's like 5,000 new comics. So naturally, Matt and I broke out our black hair dye and white makeup to harken back to our gothy roots when we read comics that were too edgy and British for superhero nerds. The Cosmic Longbox has locked us in the Vertigo vault and chosen eight classic comics that we missed as angsty kids. That's right we've never read these before believe it or not matt i love your cut off Susie and the banshees shirt why don't you start us off
0: thanks it's way too big and the cutoffs are not where you think it is they're in the arms so they go all the way down like to my bellies and show my armpits it's weird but whatever. oh yeah for sure you wouldn't understand my first pick is kid eternity number one from dc vertigo it's written by grant morrison with art by duncan for here is your setup Back in 1991, Grant Morrison hadn't taken over the JLA book yet, and he was one of Vertigo's biggest name creators. I loved his work on Animal Man and Doom Patrol in the late 80s, both of which were Silver Age characters he reinvented at Vertigo. So, why not let him revamp the Golden Age character, Kid Eternity, for the 90s? Now, admittedly, I had no clue that Kid Eternity was a quality comics character that DC actually sent to earth s with the marvel family yeah the only reason they did this is because he had a magic word just like the marvels instead of shazam he would yell eternity
1: (laughs) uh you you will find early vertigo rife with this kind of
0: reinvention yeah uh, and it will come up more than once in this very episode it's wild i did not know it was a thing Here, Morrison is updating the character, but later in the series, he acknowledges that Kid Eternity's golden age adventures still count. He's just been trapped in hell for 30 years with his friend, Mr. Keeper, who was in charge of making sure no one went to the afterlife before their time. Except for Kid Eternity, who ended up in heaven 75 years early. So, they gave him some powers, said they were sorry, sent him to Earth, and punished Mr. Keeper by sending him there, too, to build chaos spheres the story follows failed stand-up comedian jerry sullivan who meets kid eternity after coming face to face with clip that's q l i p (laughs) i'm not sure how to say that clip -clip Clip entities at a party and fleeing ending in his own near death and it's very morrison weird through and through (laughs) yeah early 90s morrison was still crazy, but here he's much more lyrical, almost writing what sounds like magic verse at points. His story winds in on itself, showing Jerry's nightmarish encounter, his near death, and finally, things begin to come into focus when he meets Kid Attorney, and both Jerry and the reader get an explanation as to what's going on. Duncan Fregredo paints the art in this issue, and it's much more thin-lined and detailed than his heavy chunky drawing line style there were panels that reminded me of like Bill Sankiewicz with spastic explosions of color and just wild paneling I don't know how I missed this comic book back in the 90s but I read the other two issues in this three issue mini right after finishing this one and it is a beautiful and terrifying story I love Morrison's take on Kid Eternity, and it was really cool to see a side of Duncan Fregoso's art that I didn't even know existed. Like, had you not told me this was Fregoso, there's no way I could have named the artist. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I
1: agree. Uh, I saw the name on the credits, and I was very excited. I love Duncan Fregoso, but it is unrecognizable as yeah. his as his work, but. I thought this was a little bit tougher to follow maybe than some other Morrison work from around this time. This is pre invisibles and you know, pre pre JSA, obviously it's a little bit out there, but I think that's also by design, you know, it's yeah. it's yeah. like the main character doesn't know what's going on either. And so you're kind of right there with him. The art is gorgeous. I haven't had a chance to read the other two issues, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely planning on it. This was, actually a pre-Vertigo series that kind of got grandfathered in because there would be an ongoing series after this that started in 1993 after Vertigo was officially established. This though was definitely peak Morrison wackiness beautiful art. It's a buy it for me And speaking of proto-Vertigo titles First up for me is Shade the Changing Man, number one, from 1990. This was written by Peter Milligan with art by Chris Bacalo. Here's your solicit. Shade must convince someone of his true identity before people from his home dimension can unleash madness across America. But the only one he's convinced so far is the daughter of a serial killer's victim, the same condemned killer he now inhabits. Shade the Changing Man is a bizarre creation from the mind of iconic comic weirdo Steve Ditko. Rack Shade is a hero from the planet Meta who fights evil with the reality-warping M-Vest. First introduced by Ditko in 1977, Peter Milligan and Chris Boccolo would reinvent the character in 1990 in a series that would join Sandman in leading to the creation of Vertical Comics. This issue is narrated by Kathy George, a young woman haunted by the brutal murder of her parents and the unjust killing of her boyfriend at the hands of Louisiana police on the same day. The execution by electric chair of serial killer Troy Grenzer, the man who slaughtered her family, is the moment that Cracked open the barrier between our reality and Shades. He now inhabits Grenzer's body and travels America with Kathy, but he didn't come to our world alone. Dot, dot, dot. When I was young and foolish, my friend's weirdo older brother had a collection of shade comics, and I turned my nose up at him. No superheroes. Like, what the hell, man? I'm like 14 years old. I ain't got time for this. Man, am I glad I finally decided to revisit the series. I absolutely loved this explosion of madness from Milligan and future superstar Chris Boccolo. Milligan does an amazing job plumbing the depths of Kathy's grief and despair, And her near mental break when reunited with the face of the man that destroyed everything she loved. An unexpected twist that I liked was the fact that the breakdown of reality that brought Shade's world into ours left witnesses and evidence. I was expecting that element of the story to remain a secret guarded by Shade and Kathy rather than a key part of the plot. You know, like I was kind of expecting it to unfold like a like a CW or HBO hour long sci-fi drama, right? Sure, Where it's sure. like, nobody knows shades, true nature. Woo! he's just got to convince people. He's not a serial killer. Chris Bacalo's work is unrecognizable here, but it is still fantastic. Capturing the feel of other proto vertigo artists like Sandman's Sam Keith and Mike Dringenberg. His depiction of shades, unreal effect on the world is definitely an indicator of how beautifully bizarre his work would one day become. I wrote off this series as an ignorant teenager, but after revisiting Shade the Changing Man number one, I'm definitely planning on giving it a second chance. I'm giving this a buy it.
0: This was definitely another book where, had you not told me this is early Chris Boccolo, I would not have guessed. I would have guessed Dringenberg, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) It looks nothing like him, and it's wild to look back at these guys at a point before they hit their style, not when they were developing their style, but before their style existed at all. Like he was doing a totally different thing. You can see him going nuts here, definitely. And it works really well for Milligan's story, which is just crazy. It's <laughs> super crazy. Like this is one of the things that I love about Vertigo Comics, and we'll talk about it more as we go on, and we'll probably talk about it the entire time, is how you couldn't do stuff like this anywhere else. They had to shunt this off. This is before we got into Vertigo, obviously. But I think DC was just looking at this and going, what do we do with these? These are cool. We like them. We like the creators. They're totally nuts, though. We've got to move this to its own universe where they can just do whatever they want. So I'm giving this a buy it as well. It's very cool. And the story, I agree, this is a little easier to follow, probably, than Kid Eternity, but just as nuts an idea. Huge buy it, though.
1: Yeah. DC in the late 80s, very, very early 90s was branching out into mature reader storytelling. Yeah. We got stuff like the the, the question uh, series by Denny O'Neill and, and Denny Cowan. Yeah, that's true. We got some uh, mature readers, Green Arrow stuff like Longbow Hunters. And even going further into the 80s, you got Sandman and Alan Moore Swamp Thing. And so Hellblazer. And so, yeah, DC was just ramping up to to Vertigo for a long, long time, and it's kind of surprising that it took them as long as it did. It is weird to finally come up with a a a way to package it.
0: It was like Marvel was doing Epic at this time, which is kind of where their mature stuff was. Like Epic had already been around, and it just took DC a little. Epic had been around, yeah. It's weird. On the subject of weird, we move to Goddess number one from Vertigo. 1995 is written by Garth Ennis and art by Phil Winslade. See if you can pick up a theme for these first six books that we talk about. <laughs> Here's your setup. The same year Garth Ennis's preacher hit the stands, he had a second Vertigo title that wouldn't be quite as successful. Goddess. It was sort of the pagan supernatural counterpart to the pseudo-Christian mythos that he played on in the pages of Preacher. Here's your solicit. Rosie Nolan was an ordinary girl until the day her violent paranormal powers first erupted, seeking to gain control of her abilities. Rosie embarks on a desperate quest across the globe, aided by a radical animal rights activist. His name is Mudhawk. Hounded by an obsessed CIA agent and hunted by a corrupt British cop. I remember seeing this comic on the stands. Just like Preacher, Goddess featured fully painted covers, but Winslade's weren't quite as iconic as Glenn Fabry's. More on him in a minute here. His interior art is excellent, though. Winslade's style is very detailed, but he also uses these loose watercolor backgrounds to give Ennis's twisted script almost an obscene fairy tale feel. There's a couple panels of extreme gore one shows a shark devouring a rock star in one bite, and the other, a tiger feasting on a policeman's head. And both are glowing with color and visceral detail, with these soft, happy watercolor clouds in the background, almost like Bob Ross setting. <laughs> it's wild. And this his story is completely over the top, but that was his brand back in the day. Vertigo was the perfect place to tell stories about shitheads, perverts, and degenerates. And it's hard to find someone more talented than Ennis in that department. Something about Goddess, though, it just doesn't quite pull me in. While Preacher was also completely over-the-top and offensive in just about every way, there wasn't running jokes where a CIA operative keeps forgetting the British counterpart's name. Which is Richard Limpcock, get it? And then that CA agent keeps making more dick jokes. It gotta surpass his preacher in its nihilistic absurdity and go straight for sophomoric silliness that borders on stupidity. I, I guess that's maybe why this series only made it to eight issues. I'm giving this a skimmit. Wasn't this supposed to be a miniseries? I don't know. I think they, so we don't know if it
1: was supposed to be eight or if it got canceled at eight.
0: Yeah. I'm not really sure. I mean, so, it ends to be f- to be fair. From what I read, it ends kind of suddenly. So uh, right. I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, I'm in agreement with you. I, I didn't really love this. It's okay. You know, it's definitely Ennis, but they, there are way better Ennis books. Yeah. And there's a reason why people don't really talk about goddess. Uh, I, I love the art by Phil Winslade, except for boy, that tiger's got some problems. That- <laughs> That tiger's got some weird deformities. <laughs> Drawing animals is
0: hard, Joe. You you know, I, hey, look,
1: I will be the first one to admit it. I, can't, I couldn't do it. But you're right. The colors are beautiful. And other than, other than that you know, kind of weird thing that took me out of it, the rest of the art is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, this is
0: a skim for me as well. I won't read any more of this. Right after I read this, I read Preacher number one, just to see. Because I was like, okay. Because I knew one completely drew me in, and this, meh. And all the offensive beats and the I dare you to look at this shit is right there in Preacher Number One, but it's just better executed. And I would even go as far as to argue that the art in Goddess is better than the art in Preacher Number One. But Preacher Number One just comes off as better execution. And it, it, maybe it's got more soul. I don't know what it is. Maybe he was more invested in the story, but this is no Preacher Number One. That's all. That's the best I could say about it.
1: For another golden age revival this time it's sandman mystery theater number 1 from 1991 it's written by matt wagner with art by guy davis also pre vertigo 1991 can't, i
0: can't believe you have never read this it blows my mind
1: i to my to my shame like
0: yeah. i i am shamed by this this is one of my all time favorite comic books series i get it. it's we'll get into it we'll oh, get into it.
1: it here's your solicit oh by the way all my solicits came Directly from the DC Universe Infinite app. They all had pretty great descriptions for my issues. The Tarantula Act 1, the film noir style series, kicks off with an opening arc following Wesley Dodds as he tracks the Tarantula, a mysterious kidnapper who wants the last dance on every young woman's card. Gross. It's a dance card. Look it up. In the waning days of the Great Depression, society gal, Diane Belmont, or Deanne, I always, I wasn't
0: sure how it's to Diane. pronounce it. But Diane.
1: She won't let her district attorney father's prohibition-era morals get in the way of her good time. She soon meets the oddly compelling Wesley Dodds, recently returned from abroad to take over his deceased father's business. What they'll all soon discover is that a kidnapper roams the New York streets, claiming young high society women as his victims. Meanwhile. A mysterious gas mask and fedora clad figure stalks the night. Is he the terrible tarantula? Of course not. It's the same. Yeah, leg, no, he?
0: no. I mean, <laughs> like the tarantula probably has spider legs, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I doubt it. I think this is, I don't know. He ends up re- no. All right. I
1: like, I'm, I'm 90% sure it's already somebody we saw in this issue. So this series has been on my must read list for like 20 years. I can't believe it took this dumb podcast to get me to finally pull the trigger. I'm sorry. It is a failing on my part and I fully admit to it.
0: That's good. Matt I appreciate Wagner's you admonishing script. yourself in front of the listeners and everybody. I just, so. I'm, fla-
1: I'm just <laughs> flagellating, I'm flagellating myself, good. which is not what you think it sounds like. Matt Wagner's script really does feel like it's stepped out of the glory days of film noir, but with a dark edge that those classic films never even dreamed about having. I loved that Sandman is just this lurking presence throughout the issue and that we never actually see more than a hint of the tarantula. If you had no idea who this golden age hero was, you might even suspect that he was the villain, like the way they play it in the book. Yeah. Wagner also establishes Wesley's odd connection to dreams by opening the issue with a nightmarish sequence and a blink and you'll miss it appearance. By Morpheus himself. You see his mask in uh, yeah. one small panel. I've been a fan of Guy Davis since discovering his work on Mike Mignola's Hellboy spinoff BPRD. His loose, moody, shadowy art amplifies the mysterious tone of the story. Sandman Mystery Theater No. 1 was a fantastic first chapter in a compelling crime noir story and the untold adventures of the Golden Age Sandman shame on me for not discovering it sooner this gets a huge buy it obviously
0: yeah this was the book that started my love affair with uh guy davis and man i got to talk to him at a comic show i was at in chicago for a while and it was one of those things where he was an artist alley and i mean the guy's a legend but not everybody knows who he is so real nerds come up and i was just like your work on sandman mystery theater blew my head off i loved it I was young. I'd never really seen this kind of art like this. And he was so outsider and strange. We ended up talking for an hour and a half. And he's the nicest guy. I love this series. Go read it. It is such an interesting take on a really lame Golden Age character. (laughs) Hey, Sandman's not lame. He's cool. Uh, No, he's lame. (laughs) He's super lame. You're lame. This version is incredible. And I love the aspect uh, sort of like they went for uh, a shadow, you know, the old radio, the shadow yeah, knows. Yeah, like exactly. The yeah. main good guy is super creepy and kind of a bad guy, too, and could be considered breaking and entering in most places. And a super creep. He wears a gas mask. When people see him, they sk- they scream and stuff. It's awesome. I and he roofies them with his gas gun. And he roofies them with his gas gun. I <laughs> absolutely adore this series. Of course, it's a huge one for they- Let's stay on the subject of creepy men in trench coats with the Trenchcoat Brigade. Number one from Vertigo. This was 1999. We're jumping way forward here. Written by John Nee Reibner with art by John Ridgway. Here's your setup. First scene in Neil Gaiman's Book of Magic, guiding Tim Hunter through the realms of magic. Doctor Occult, Mister E, the Phantom Stranger, and John Constantine reunite. To take on a particularly nasty evil menace. What more could a late 90s Vertigo fan ask for? Here is your solicit. Mr. E has arrived in the present day, but why is he killing green eyed Russian men in New York City? Not really killing them, though. That's the thing. E's reluctant allies join him on a search for the answer, voyaging through time and space to a devastated future ruled by an evil force. This is yet another. Vertigo miniseries that I cannot believe I missed, seeing as I was a massive Hellblazer fan at the time. I loved the idea of a cohesive universe in Vertigo Sandman titles, and Reibner does a fantastic job reminding us how weird these trench coat wearing supernatural protectors can be. Mr. E is a religious lunatic. The phantom stranger appears as if from nowhere with glowing eyes and and creeps everyone out And I completely forgot this version of Dr. Occult shared a body with Rose Psychic, who was like... Every version of Dr. Occult. That's from the Golden Age. I didn't think they shared. I thought they were just partners in the Golden Age. They didn't share a body. No, they were just... No, I think they did. They were just partners in the Golden Age. I think making them sharing a body and, like, gender swapping... Was very vertigo. There, I doubt they did. But that. when did that happen? When was the last time you saw Dr. Occult in anything? I mean, you know, I don't know. It's magic. I kind of read about him in the golden age a little bit and it just made it sound like she was his partner. But I don't totally know. That could be established. The story hits all the supernatural beats you know and love, inspired by the old school DC and EC horror comics. Here with a 90s grit you'd come to expect from vertigo. There's a nice twist on the last page that ties directly to John Constantine. John Ridgway was a Vertigo legend before Vertigo was even born, seeing as he penciled the first nine issues of Hellblazer. He's got a razor thin, very detailed style with crosshatch shading that can make just about anything look extremely creepy. I love him. I almost forgot how good this guy is. I'm definitely going to finish this mini series and I'd love to see DC revisit the trench brigade, even if it's in the pages of a goddamn black label book, because we can't have vertigo anymore. I'm giving this a buy it.
1: You are right. They didn't, they weren't always fused. Yeah, I didn't think so, but uh, it says that he and Rose were fused into one being at some point prior to this. So he, he was, uh, he showed up in all-star squadron, in the 80s, pre-crisis, and I think he, sh- he was also in Crisis on Infinite Earths. And they, all it says is, that at some point, he and Rose became fused into one being. Okay. And that's literally all it says. All right,
0: there you go. Somebody lay it on us. When did that happen? Is that a thing?
1: <laughs> I, you know what? I don't really think it's that important. <laughs> hey, you know, I thought this was okay. Uh, I don't know. I, I love Books of Magic. So I, I was familiar with the first time these guys
0: got together. Yeah, the- I love Books of Magic as well.
1: Uh, It's a great it's a great series, beautifully painted. And this revival is fun, but it's also kind of bizarre and it doesn't make a ton of sense. And Mr. E is completely uh, like what? Why aren't they? Why isn't Mr. E the villain? (laughs) Like
0: he's he's driving stakes into people. Well, he was was like this in the books of magic as well. He was this religious nutball zealot. He tried to kill Tim Hunter at one point in that book. It's true. Well, I mean, I, I think that that was kind of the point
1: of Books of Magic is the reason they got together was because Tim was prophesied to become like a world ending. Yeah. Destroyer.
0: And they were going to stop him. And Mr. E was like, now nah, we got to kill, kill him. him. Right. <laughs> Maybe he's trying to save some time to his credit. I don't know.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this a skim it like I didn't love I didn't love this as much as I thought I was going to. I, I think it's I think it's fun. It's just a little weird and i like books of magic better frankly
0: right on i really liked it i had fun
1: here let's break from our theme of supernatural british weirdness and get to the angsty violent teen portion of the program also british Oh, also British. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Still British. I'm sticking with that. I'm talking about (laughs) Kill Your Boyfriend. It's a one shot from 1995. It's written by Grant Morrison with art by Philip Bond. Here's your setup. Kill Your Boyfriend is an over the top black comedy of rebellion and teen romance topped with a heady mix of random violence and dark humor. A British schoolgirl yearning for excitement joins up with an angry rebel boy intent on tearing down middle class England from the back cover quote girl meets boy girl falls for boy boy takes girl on violent rampage through english suburb murder sex drugs and anarchy follow yeah baby in the mid-90s you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a tale of teenage love gone violently wrong but when grant morrison envisioned to kill your boyfriend a few years earlier their inspiration was a martin sheen film called badlands in all of the things that i read about this I, they refer to it as Heartland, but in America it was called Badlands. So yeah. I wonder if that was an uh, an English thing where they changed the name. I'm bad if there is because there was something else called Heartland, or they don't have Badlands
0: in England.
1: And they, well, but Badlands they didn't make any
0: sense? Is, I don't. I don't think that's it. It's not. They're not talking about the necessarily the Badlands in South Dakota. The Badlands well, kind is of is they like,
1: are because <laughs> they are they are talking about that because that movie is based on the exploits of Midwest teenage spree killer I Charlie guess that's Starkweather. True. Yeah, I guess that's true. As Morrison describes him, he's the James Dean of serial killers. He was obsessed with cool and style. Morrison takes the theme and thrusts it into the 90s with Kill Your Boyfriend, which features the unnamed boy and his young lover girl. Morrison's story is darkly funny. It's wish fulfillment to the extreme as boy and girl go on a sex and drug fueled rampage across England. They're reacting to their frustrations in ways that most of us would never dream of. Even their bus full of allegedly like-minded friends proved to be nothing but posers playing at Rebellion. Morrison somehow makes this pair of maniacs relatable, despite their actions. It's very easy to remember a time when I felt similarly powerless and wished that I could take drastic action. I never picked up a gun and murdered anybody, but, you know. I mean, there
0: was that one time. That was just (laughs) just that one time. And you're sorry. I mean, like, it's... I'm (laughs) very sorry.
1: By the time the story comes to an explosive end, you're actually rooting for the young lovers to somehow succeed, even when you know that they can't. I can't remember the first time I encountered his work, but I think it was in an Oni Press series that I've since forgotten. I've been a huge fan of Philip Bond for years. His deceptively innocent style is the perfect fit for this tale of youthful, bloody rebellion. Kill Your Boyfriend is another quintessential piece of Vertigo history that resonates still today. It gets
0: a buy it. Yeah, I love Philip Bond. He's so good. And I think this was probably the first time that I saw his comic work when I when I picked this up and I picked it up because I love Grant Morrison I was just like, OK, give me all the Grant Morrison. I'm in. But I later figured out he used to work on this magazine called Forty and Times which was sort of like this occult magazine where it was about like UFOs and how pyramids were on ley lines and shit like that. And he would illustrate stuff in that book and oh, in, that, cool. in that magazine. And I went back and looked and I was like, oh my God, that is Philip Bond. <laughs> I had a bunch of those magazines. Love him. Absolutely love him. This is a romp and it's a one shot and it's great. And it like, it's just Grant Morrison freaking out. And yeah, like, Maybe it doesn't age real well. There's stuff about school shootings and stuff in here. But it was about teen angst at the time. And that really wasn't a thing when this was written. I I believe this was pre-Columbine even. So, you know. Yeah, it was, I think. Take it with a grain of salt. It is what it is. It's just a good punk rock feminist romp. And we didn't have a lot of those. And we still probably don't have enough of those, (laughs) quite honestly. I'm giving this a huge buy it. It's also, the art is just awesome.
1: God, I love
0: Philip I'm not sure how feminist it is, but... Well, I mean, it's her, like... It, yeah, I, get, your I guess ch- she does She does go, yeah. Yeah, it's your main character is a little girl that's sick of everybody's shit. Nice to see a girl doing it, so... <laughs> that was a fun little aside into Teenage British angst. Let's get back to Supernatural Weirdos with Neil Kamen's Neverwhere, number one from Vertigo, 2005. This was written by not Neil Gaiman, but Mike Carey, and art by Glenn Fabry. Here's your setup. Neverwhere was actually a British TV series that aired on BBC2 back in 1996, created by Gaiman and a guy named Lenny Henry. Gaiman then wrote a novelization of the show, and flash forward to 2005, Vertigo brings readers Mike Carey's comic book adaptation of the novel adaptation Of the TV show. Everybody following that? (laughs) I got it. I'm on board. Okay. Here's the novels solicit. Under the streets of London, there's a world most people could never even dream of. A city of monsters and saints, murderers and angels, knights in armoire. It's got that U in it because they're British. And pale girls in black velvet. That's how us goth boys like them, right? Neverwhere is the London of the people who have fallen between the cracks. Strange destinies lie in wait in London below, a world that seems eerily familiar, but a world that is utterly bizarre. Peopled by unearthly characters such as the angel called Islington, 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 the girl named Dor, and the Earl who holds court on the tube train. Now, a single act of kindness has catapulted young businessman Richard Mayhew out of his safe and predictable life and into the realms of neverwhere. Richard's about to find out more than he ever wanted to know about this other London, which is a pity because Richard just wants to go home. When I think of Glenn Fabry, my mind goes straight to his incredible painted covers of the Affermented Vertigo Preacher series, and I tend to forget his penciling. That is not to say that the art is bad here, but I will say it's not great. <laughs> His anatomy can get Glenn r- Fabry is not known for his pants. Yeah, his anatomy can get wild at times and a little more visceral than I'm comfortable with. I'm not sure if he's not great at drawing attractive characters or if no one in this comic is supposed to be attractive at all. <laughs> Mike- probably the first one. <laughs> Mike Gary does a nice job with Gaiman's modern fairy tale that seems to take place with interdimensional beings who can walk amongst normal humans because they kind of look like homeless people that dress like lunatics the premise is good and trying to hook a reader with one issue when the premise is so obviously very deep and involved has got to be difficult there just wasn't a lot to root for character wise Richard, the main character, is kind of a sad sack with a very controlling girlfriend. I mean, I guess these days he's the definition of a beta cuck, if you will. (laughs) The girl he rescues, Dor, one of the magic homeless people, just comes off as quirky and has the weirdest hairstyle I've ever seen. Maybe it was like that on the show, too. But if not, I'm going to say Fabry made a real choice here. I don't know how faithful this is to the source material, but I think a different artist may have helped the story a little bit. Maybe having read the book or watched the show, I would be more invested. But this just did not hook me as a new reader. I'm going to give it a skim it because you can see Gaiman working here and you can see Carrie doing a good job with it. There's just maybe a little too much for a first issue and not enough character stuff to make you care. I think we're kind of flip-flopped in our opinions
1: of Neverwhere and the Trenchcoat Brigade, because this kind of hit me just in the right mood. When I remember when this came out, you and I, what year was this, 2008?
0: Yeah, 2005, sorry.
1: 2005. You and I were still working at Krypton at the time, and I remember when this came out, and looking at it, and thinking
0: oh neil gaiman but this isn't neil gaiman and yeah. i turned my nose up at it but we had bootleg vhs copies of neverwhere for yes sale. i remember <laughs> the and time. i like i
1: remember like i remember never watching this the show beyond a few seconds of it and it was like cheesy bbc nonsense oh yeah but i read this last night and i really found myself enjoying it now i agree that fabry's art is. He's not my favorite pencil artist.
0: He's very talented. Let's just say he's, that.
1: He's, he's, a great, he's a great painter. He's a great yes. cover artist, but uh, his pencil art doesn't really work. Mm. But story-wise, I kind of liked it. I, I, I like this idea. It, they're not necessarily interdimensional, but it's kind of like, what's that um, J. Michael Straczynski book where it's, is it Midnight Nation? Wasn't well, that the one with vampires? Oh uh, where that's the one where you know there's like people that are forgotten by society and they become invisible, and so they kind of have their own society that's like out of sync with reality okay and and then they are there are these like dark beings, yes, but it's that's, oh yeah not yes, you're right, yes gary Frank drewtt uh mm-hmm. that that kind of reminded me of this, like that there is this society, this world hidden within ours populated by people that are forgotten, and I just kind of thought that that was a neat idea. Whether or not uh, it, it holds up in relation to the, the book or the show, I cannot say. I liked this first issue. I do wish the art had been a little better. Yeah. I'm also going to give it a skim it, but I liked it better than you did, I it's think. not. Yeah, it's not terrible, but it just... No, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's just... I think it... I, I think a better
0: artist would have... A different yeah. artist would have served this I hate this book to better. say that, because Glenn Fabry is a crazy talented artist. Yeah, I don't want to say a better artist. Let's say a different, a artist, different artist. artist. A different artist. A different artist. Yeah, yeah.
1: In time for the end, Matt, our British tour of weirdness is over. It's time to head to the States. It's Johnny Double number one from 1998. It's written by Brian Azzarello with art by Eduardo Rizzo. And here's your setup. When Johnny Double agrees to keep tabs on a rich man's wayward daughter, Faith, he becomes ensnared in a tangled web of deceit, Moira, and double cross after he decides to help Faith and her friends with a get-rich-quick scheme Involving a long forgotten bank account belonging to Al Capone. That was that was one sentence. That was moiter. Is
0: that what you did? Moiter. 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 Gotcha. Uh,
1: That was one long sentence. So whoever
0: wrote that, learn more. (laughs) Pick up some punctuation. Yeah, go buy yourself a comma. (laughs) My God, like a period or a semicolon (laughs) or something.
1: Johnny Double was created by Len Wein and Marv Wolfman in the pages of Showcase seventy-eight from nineteen sixty-eight. No artist name given. Screw you guys. <laughs> he was an aging ex-cop working as a PI in San Francisco that talked like a relic from a bygone era and was obsessed with the American counterculture
0: movement of the 1960s. Didn't he show up in that, um, in a Wonder Woman Issue that we recently reviewed when she was Diana Prince and she was like a hip swing whatever. Yeah,
1: he did. Maybe that he was totally really did. Yeah, he was. I there. mean, he made appearances. Yeah, he
0: was rolling with her and Selena Kyle, the Catwoman, who was I didn't recognize with the weird all. costume. Yeah. yeah. She only
1: wore that. She wore that costume for less. Yes. Than a year. Azarello and Rizzo revived the character with this, their first collaboration, which would lead to their award winning run on 100 bullets the following year. The pair proved to be a powerhouse team right out of the gate. Johnny Double is full of Azzarello's trademark grizzled dialogue, sexy broads, brutal violence, and colorful characters that crawled straight from the gutter. I love the far-fetched scheme of hijacking Al Capone's long-lost bank account like some bureaucrat wouldn't have already found that years ago. Eduardo Rizzo must have hit the industry as a fully formed artistic giant because his work here is just as gnarly. And beautiful as it was at the peak oh, yeah. of 100 Bullets' popularity. Absolutely. I don't know if that guy has
0: ever not been as brilliant as he is today. No, and, in like, his style is just, this is all I can do. You know? it's, <laughs> like, I mean, it is. that's <laughs> not a slam. It's just, like, you know, like,
1: there's no mistaking his work. Right. Johnny Double Number 1 is a story about a bad guy trying to do a good thing and getting put through the ringer for his trouble, which is the sweet spot for these two
0: creators. I loved it. It's a buy it. Yeah, this is you can see them doing 100 bullets here. You can see it. It's right here. It's just a slightly different story. And the main character says, you dig every once in a while. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He talks like he's a guy from the 60s. It's ridiculous. And it doesn't doesn't fit, but I don't think it's supposed to because he's obsessed with that. And everybody sort of like knows him that way. He's definitely more down and out on his luck than the last time we saw him run around with Diana Prince. But- this is a re-envisioning. It's vertical. This is what they did.
1: Yeah, let's just say that the Diana adventure probably is not in continuity. No, I don't story. think so.
0: <laughs> I definitely don't think so. I love this. And I remember reading this. I read the whole thing, but I have like no memory of it. So I'm totally going to go back and read this whole story. Well, I'm
1: always confusing it with the Human Target miniseries that preceded the, there was a Human Target miniseries yeah. that came out before the ongoing. And it came out right around this same time.
0: And so I'm always mixing the two up. But yeah, no, this is Johnny Double, Azarello, and Rizzo. Right. It was Peter Milligan and Edvin Bukovic Oh yes. did that first human target. But yeah, it was right around the same time. Man, the human target was another fantastic vertigo re-envisioning of a character. That's all they did, right? No, this is so good. I love this. It's a huge buy-it from me. And if you never checked out 100 Bullets, oh my god, go pick up that comic book. It is one of the best conspiracy comic books ever created. Love this creative team. Man, I miss this stuff so much. Huge buy it. This next part is going to be really difficult for us. We have got links with more info on all these comics in our show notes if you want to check that out. But before we can escape the Vertigo Vault, the Cosmic Longbox requires us to pick one of these comics to enter the THN permanent collection Joe Patrick which of these comics touched your dark gothy inner child gross I know uh, sorry I, I mean that's what a lot thinking. of vertical comics were about though let's be real
1: I was too busy thinking about the human target I, I, I think that that's on my I think that'll be my on my reading list for tonight for me it is going to be Sandman Mystery Theater I think because I just, after all this time, I can't believe I finally read it and it lived up to my expectations and I'm very excited to finally dive in.
0: I totally agree, but I wanna pick one of these books that I had never read before because that would already be in my permanent collection because I love that series so much. And I think it's probably Johnny Double. It's probably Johnny Double, number one, because this was the first time I saw these two creators work together. And their body of work that they're famous for is obviously 100 Bullets. And 100 Bullets is just, I can't say enough about how great that series is if you've never mm-hmm. read it. Yeah. One of my all-time favorites. So this was like seeing them in this raw, creative you know, crew that would go on to do something so amazing. So, yeah, it's gonna be it's Johnny weird.
1: Like it's weird, you know. Hundred Bullets came out less than a year after this. Yeah, shortly series shortly after this. ended. And for two guys that had never worked together before, it's like they were soulmates. You know, they
0: were like destined to be a creative force right out of the gate. I, yeah, I don't know for certain. I have a feeling that Hundred Bullets was a the thing they were already working on, and they had this other story and they were like maybe we, we got this shiny double story and they were like alright we'll put out this see how it sells and it sold and people went this is kick ass and then they went alright 100 bullets green lit go and yeah, let them have that's it. I
1: mean considering how long it takes these things with planning and stuff you're probably right yeah With our back-issue duties complete, we find ourselves reconstituting in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we come each week to escape the chaos of reality, ponder ancient mysteries, study arcane tomes, and of course, make our must-read picks for the next New Comic Book Wednesday. Matt, what should these nerds be picking up from the local comic shop next Wednesday, December the 14th?
0: My pick for next Wednesday is Vicious Circle, number one from Boom Studios. It is three ninety nine. It's written by Madison Tomlin with art by Lee Bromeggio. I'm pronouncing his name wrong because we pronounce a lot of people's names wrong, and I figure if we just pronounce them all wrong, then people will be like, "Well, these guys are idiots. It's not their fault." So there we go. Here is your solicit. I don't know if that, I don't know if that logic tracks, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Director, screenwriter, and one of the visionaries behind The Batman and Project Power. I'm not sure what that is. Creator Madison Tomlin teams up with iconic artist Lee Bremejo, who's worked on Batman the Damned recently, and Joker! Exclamation point. Sean Thacker is a trained assassin from the future who seeks revenge on the only other man with his affliction. Each life they take forces them both to travel between vastly different past and future eras. Spanning from the 22nd century Tokyo to 1950s New Orleans to the Cretaceous era and beyond, the two mortal rivals are locked in a battle of wills that spans millions of years, all to alter the course of history. With each time period, artist Lee Brumejo adjusts his artistic style to pay homage to luminary comics, artists, and historical master painters presented in a prestige, oversized format. If I need to tell you why you should pick this up, you did not hear what I just read, (laughs) okay? First of all, Lee Bermejo, one of my favorite artists. The guy is outstandingly creative. And if you look, like, Bermejo is a very noticeable style. When you see him working, you go, that is definitely Bermejo. He does this very realistic, incredible art. And in this, he is pushing himself. And he's pushing himself to work Like artists that formed him, and it looks absolutely gorgeous, amazing. I don't know much about, I don't know much about Madison Tomlin outside of his credits for working on the Batman. I'm not sure what Project Power is. Sure, he's a very talented guy. Looking forward to reading it. Hopefully, this is a great comic book. But I feel like Libra Mayo, he don't sign on for no garbage. So go pick this up. Uh Project Power was a movie, a Netflix uh,
1: original movie starring Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon. Oh it, yeah. About uh about a an illegal drug that gets onto the streets and it gives people yes. superpowers for five minutes at a time. I and think that kind of flopped. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean it's like it's okay. It, like I watched it and I liked it, but it's kind of like it's just kind of good casual, like turn it on while you play a game on your phone, kind of viewing.
0: You know, yeah. it's it's decent. It's you kind know, of popcorn. Jamie Fox. You want an Oscar, what are you doing? kind of
1: viewing. <laughs> I don't know, man. Netflix is where the money seems to be these days. So I I know. my pick for next week goes to Danger Street, number one from DC Comics. I'm sure, I'm sure it's black label. Who even knows? It's $4.99. It's written by Tom King with art by Jorge Fornes. Here's your solicit. Joining the Justice League is a goal for any superhero, but what happens when a quest for membership takes a sinister turn? join Starman, Metamorpho, and Warlord as they look to prove themselves worthy by summoning and defeating Darkseid in battle. Good luck with that. (laughs) Soon they'll learn that calling upon a new god never ends well, and their world is headed for a crisis as a result. The journey to save the day will be a treacherous one filled with princesses, knights, and all kinds of monsters. Each person the heroes encounter plays a crucial role in this sprawling yet gripping narrative that is a little bit silly, a whole lot dark, and completely cool. Expect the unexpected with a supporting cast featuring Manhunter, Lady Cop, the Green Team, and the Creeper.
0: I love the Green Team.
1: (laughs) Now, in case you didn't figure it out, if you're an old head like us and you hadn't figured it out, this is inspired by the heroes and villains that appeared in a forgotten series called First Issue Special. Tom King and Jorge Fornes, who also drew Rorschach and a lot of the better issues of Tom King's Batman, return for an unforgettable maxi series that reimagines the characters uh, and their stories a multi-character multi-layered crime drama starring some of dc's most obscure creations no one will see it coming but everyone will want to see
0: where it goes so back when we were doing nerd news on cover yeah. to cover we talked about this i feel like it was like three years ago for it, some reason no this has it, been it the in the
1: works for a while yes. but
0: i think it was announced when strange adventures was still coming out this so has to be black label ago. it's tom it's more of tom king's black label stuff it's got to be
1: i mean i don't know we'll see it doesn't really matter it, it, but it's it's this is uh my pick because i think that this is where i prefer tom king like yeah
0: off in the periphery this is where tom king shines
1: and definitely. like believe it or not i don't have any like investment in the lady cop uh continuity so he can do whatever he wants but if they, to, or to the green team with you know, the
0: green example. team i swear to god
1: <laughs> but you know on the other hand i do love metamorpho so i do love metamorpho. and it's also warlord like the metal skull yeah. bikini wearing warlord
0: yeah sword so and this gun is warlord like,
1: so first issue special, and for those of you that don't know, uh, any any back issue diver or comic shop employee will remember back issue bins full of copies of first issue special. Oh, yeah. It was a forgotten DC series from the 1970s, and each issue was a number one. Get it? First issue special. Yep. And it was a one-shot featuring the introduction of, or a new adventure featuring a, an established character that was meant to... It was kind of like a pilot program where it's like test out and see if the green team has what it takes to, to get an ongoing, Wasn't right?
0: this a, wasn't this a Len Wein thing where he was like, what if they were all
1: first issues? Oh, I don't know.
0: But like warlord ended up getting
1: his own book out of the deal. Yeah. It is also where we got the blue skinned Starman that would later appear in James Robinson's series, you know? So uh, things came out of first issue special and
0: Tom King and Jorge Fornes are going to mine that for all it's worth. It was Jerry Conway. Um, it was Jerry Conway came up with it. Oh, uh, there you go. There you I go. I like Jerry Conway. I do too. I, I'm excited. The THN trade of the week for December 14th goes to Beware the Eye of Odin, the trade paperback from Image Comics. It's 16.99. It's written by Doug Wagner with art by Tim Odland and Michelle Madison. Here's your solicit. Helgi, the prince of a Viking village, has stumbled upon the cursed Eye of Odin. If he doesn't return it to his rightful owner, by the new moon, he will die an agonizing death of boils and decay. Ugh. By his side are Steger, a one-armed warrior past his prime, and Cadlin, a female warrior, convinced she's a Valkyrie. Their only path will take them through the treacherous lands of Hundrafolk, trolls, and earthen smiths. This collects Beware the Eye of Odin 1 through 4. I gave issue number three a huge buy it in a ludicrous speed round that i wrote a few months ago fans of norse mythology and fantasy are going to love this it has some of the most disgusting troll designs i have ever seen committed to comic art (laughs) tim odlin is a crazy person pick this up it is fun you will love it fancy nerd I, i flipped i flipped through this the art is bonkers it is nuts love it
1: well, let us know if our Picks of the Week brought any clarity to the chaos of your life or just drained your wallet of at least three ninety nine. dollars over at our Discord in the new comics channel. And don't forget to tell us what you're reading while you're there.
0: Excelsior! Oh. That is it for TGN 688! Next week, we are back to reviewing new comics and we'll revisit what happens when a Batman versus a Spawn in our Patreon Extra. Did we mention we have a live call-in show, too? We call it THN Cover to Cover. It happens on Saturdays, 1030 Central. Not this Saturday, but it will happen again, I promise. Check out our Discord for details. Joe Patrick, one thing we give these nerds to talk about is the question of the week. Can you please reset that?
1: I can and will. This week's question is courtesy of Brian Domingos. Rebrands. Remember when Thunderbolts changed from a team of reformed villains to a fight club? What's an ongoing book rebrand that you love or wish you could forget? Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We do need them uh, with regularity. If you can't make it to cover to cover live, shoot an mp3 to two headed nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline. The number is 402-819-4894, but please keep that to two minutes or less. Now, point of order about this week's show. We're not having one. It's our annual holiday uh, uh, gathering, Cookie Fest. Uh, No, you can't have the recipes. They are
0: a closely held secret. Don't ask me again, Frank. They don't always work.
1: (laughs) They don't always work, and Matt and I are not involved in the cooking. Yeah,
0: yeah, we're we're in the sitting and watching uh, nerd show.
1: Matt drinks whiskey and we and we watch dumb holiday movies on it's online. Great. So, uh, JD got a catch. Talked about hosting an informal cover to cover on the Discord. No recording, obviously, just a bunch of nerds getting together to chat. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I'll set up a voice channel that can
0: actually talk in.
1: We'll figure that out <laughs> if there's some interest. Let us know. We'll do our live tweeting of uh, dumb holiday stuff on the Discord this year now, instead of on Twitter. Now, what
0: we could do, and this is something we could talk about, we could do something in the voice channel where you and I sit down and like. Start something and just like watch it, you know, like on TV and
1: like, just
0: have the voice channel running, yeah, with and, a and computer in between. Well, us. but not just that, like, I do the cartoon theater where we just like show, like show like a cartoon before we start going, and you and I just you know talk into our computers or our phones or whatever while we're watching it and it's on screen. Like, we could totally do something. I think we should do that. Maybe we, we should do. figure we'll, out how to do that. We'll figure out the logistics. Let's not promise anything right here on the show. Matt, okay. edit this. You, this we, with something we can post on Discord. It, <laughs> it's an idea. It's, yeah. an idea. it's an idea. It's an idea. Yeah. Something we need to test out first. If you're new to the show and you'd rather die an agonizing death of boils and decay than listen to any more, I assure you, it is only because you have not heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire NMTHN of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the extreme generosity of donors, like our newest patron, Jorge, aka the Wax, The LOL racks. Oh, O L-O-L Racks. God, I'm never gonna give it the time, so am I? <laughs> Sorry, the LOL Racks. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. Oh, man. Did you make me get political? No. All right. No. Uh, okay. Okay. This is real, by the way.
1: Okay. I understand. But are you sure it's not political? Yeah. All right. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to the San Francisco police supervisors who decided not to use killer robots in emergency situations. This is real. <laughs> Quote, the people of San Francisco have spoken loud and clear. There is no place for killer police robots in our city, Sorry. said Supervisor Dean Preston to ABC News in a statement. Sorry, ED-109.
0: Have
1: none of you (laughs) seen any Terminator movies? (laughs) Like, come on! Where did the good people of San Francisco who will not see T-100s mowing down the population. Yeah,
0: we're not talking about RoboCop here. We're talking about killer robots, okay? (laughs) Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics your killer robot retailer might just greet you with... You asshole. This is the two headed nerd signing off.